is. Yeah. And that's all you need. That's enough in itself. Praise God. I'm thankful that when the enemy comes in like a flood, our God lifts up a standard against him. Amen. Praise God. So if he's telling you today who he thinks you are, the enemy of your soul is trying to tell you who thinks who he thinks you are and what he thinks you're capable of and what he thinks you can do and what you can't. Just tell him, I believe Jesus says I can. Amen. We were talking this morning, it's time for the church of the Most High to stand up. Talked a little bit last week about having some holy grit. Amen. In life, you have to establish some grit to get through. Amen. And holy grit will get you way farther. Praise God. It's time to face the enemy at the first thought. When you notice his plan, when you notice him trying to stir things up, go after him. I don't believe in looking.
Isn't the Lord good? Amen. It's so good to see all of your faces today. Praise God. You can be seated in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your worship. God is doing some amazing things right now in his presence that we may not be able to see or even comprehend, but he's at work. And uh, he knows what he's doing. Praise God. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. We've got a couple of things that we want to do before we go into the word of the Lord. And then at the close of the service, we're just going to make our way to the vestibule and uh, have a wonderful baptism service and uh, just allow God to bless each person that goes down in his name. And uh, the Bible says that been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. Amen. Amen. Now we're buried with him in baptism that like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's going to be a brand new thing for those that are going down in the waters of baptism today. And that will be exciting. But before we get there, I do have a word from the Lord. And before that, we need to do a couple of things. Um, first of all, I'm going to ask Nicole to come real quick. There she is. My wife turned her microphone off. She's got some news, and then we want to pray for this situation as well as another one as well. Um, so Friday, I was awarded full
that we've been blessed to be under. I'm asking you, Lord, to take them deeper in you. Use them for your kingdom. Let them be a light in their neighborhood. Let them be a light in the church that they begin to attend. Let them be used of you. Let the glory of God shine round about them. Lord, we're so thankful today for Aaliyah. And we're thankful for working out the situation so that she can be with Jason and Nicole. I'm asking you now, Lord, for wisdom beyond measure. God, I'm asking you for a blessing. Lord, we're turning Aaliyah over to you. She's been baptized in your name. She is your child. Lord, now direct her path from this day forward. Put a hedge of protection around her. Let the angels that camp round about them that fear you be dispatched in her behalf even now. Lord, we'll be careful to give you glory and honor and praise. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We love and appreciate you, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. I told Michael and Ashley, at least we're connected online still. Yeah, Thank God for the internet now. Praise God. Praise God. If you have your Bible, then we'll turn to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 31. And uh, I, all week long, have been asking God, okay, what, what's the plan for Sunday? Um, and I know what I wanted to preach, and that didn't work out so well. <laughs> but last night I sat down at my desk and began to open up the word of the Lord and the Lord turned me towards this passage and uh, so I assumed that God knew what he was doing and, uh, and I knew that that was for somebody today and it's been confirmed by some statements and things of some people that have walked through the doors of the church today so I know God is in this and so uh, even before I read this passage, I'm going to open this message up with prayer one more time. And I'm asking you to pray this simple prayer. Lord, make my heart receptive yes. and my ears receptive to the word of the Lord today. Would you do that with me? Lord God, I'm asking you to fill me up and pour me out upon your people today. Let your word come alive. Let revelation come alive. Let sanctification come alive. Lord, I'm asking you to give us ears and hearts, Lord, to receive, Lord, and to absorb and to embrace what you're trying to tell us today. Lord, you have stepped into this house. You have ordained this service for somebody. I'm asking you to reach into the very depths of our hearts and souls and begin to do a work that only you can do. Build up, O oh God, I pray. Let the spirit of encouragement come alive in this house. Let the spirit of hope come alive in this house. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, amen. Second Chronicles, starting at chapter 31 and verse number 20. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. Verse 1 of chapter 32. After these things, 
and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers. And another wall went out and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spoke comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And I want to preach with the help of the Lord this, this thought today. After these things. After these things. What we just read is something that is solid. It's something that is powerful. It is a solid rock underneath my feet that I can stand upon in the days where everything is being tossed with every wind of doctrine. And today I'm asking God to speak to us. I want to hear what he has to say to my spirit. For without his voice, our coming together is in vain. And without hearing from God, everything that we do is just semantics. and It's just a game. It's a social gathering. We are not just another church. We are not just another group of people that come together and support one another. But I believe that Spirit of Grace Church and all of you that are with us today, we are a part of the church of the living God. We are the children of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the I am that I am. He is our God and he wants to say something to us today and I want to hear what he wants to say. And so I read to you from the book of 2 Chronicles and this passage really could be considered the last statement of a man's life and his ministry, if you will. And if it could have ended at the close of chapter 31, we could have shut the book and said, that which Hezekiah did was great. It was wonderful. It was powerful. But that's not the way life is. You, you see, you cannot just write the last chapter and say, well, that's it. For it's not until you are lowered into a grave where the trump of God sounds and calls us home that your final chapter of life is ever finished. It's the last chapter for as long as you are alive and as long as you are involved and as long as you have relationships with other people and as long as, as you are buy groceries and pay bills and, and go to school and cook meals, then you're still writing your life story. Your story is being written today. It's not over. 
With the swing of the pen, you inscribe on your eternal record your activities, your responses to God, the things that you're doing, the things that you're thinking, his desires for you, your desires for him. It would be nice to be able to close these things while everything is going good and to say, I want to quit while I'm ahead. And, and that may be possible in some areas of life, but not in life itself. So it would be nice to say that chapter 31 of brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so's life is through. He'll go on living, but there won't be any more events to record. There won't be any more struggles, no more life situations, no more relationships, no more joys. Just a, like a, uh, everything's going to go to like a dreamland and and nothing else is going to happen. Nothing else bad is going to happen. Nothing, but that's not the way life is. And it would be nice to be able to say that Hezekiah had wrought that which is good and that which is right and that which is truth in the eyes of God because he had done that. And if you read back even further in, uh, into 2 Chronicles chapter 28, you'll read the story of Hezekiah's father, the rule of Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz was an evil king. And uh, if you read it, he made molten images and he burned incense, he even burned his own kids and started what we would know as human sacrifice. And then in chapter 29, Hezekiah takes the throne and he takes and he begins to change things. If you read chapter 29, he opens the doors to the house of the Lord. He says to the people of Israel, I know that you've not been worshiping God properly. And I know that you've not been sacrificing properly. And, and, but I want you to get ready because God's getting ready to do something in Israel. And so we're going to do some things to change it. And so in verse 15 of chapter 29, Hezekiah gathers together the people. And, and, and they begin to sanctify themselves. And they come together. And according to the commandment of the Lord, they begin to cleanse the house of the Lord. Verse 19, they find all of the articles of the house of the Lord that Ahaz had hidden away and tried to destroy. You see, they did a great work. It was powerful. Israel was experiencing a revival. Things were on the upswing. Things were going good. It's a wonderful record of the things that Hezekiah did in this term that he was leading Israel in. Bring it to modern day. He was doing good. He paid his tithe. He was at church every Sunday, every Wednesday. He sang in the praise team. He did, by the way, didn't he look good up here? Yeah. That was praise team look good. He did everything that would cause you to say that Hezekiah does not deserve for anything bad to happen or to go wrong. He shouldn't have a sour day. He had overthrown the evilness of his father and ushered in the anointing of the power of God and restored the tabernacle, if you will, and restored all the, restored all the vessels of all the things that God had given to the children of Israel. He shouldn't get a flat tire on the way to work. He shouldn't fall behind on his bills. So we read down to verse 20 and 21, and it says that Hezekiah wrought that which was good and true. Every work that he began in the service of God was powerful, and he prospered. And we would like to be able to shut the book and say, don't move, Hezekiah, just stay where you're at. 
that's not the way life operates. Verse 1 says, after these things. After these things. After Hezekiah did that which was right. After Hezekiah did that which was good. After Hezekiah did that which was true. After he poured his blood, sweat, and tears into the things of God, the king of Assyria came. The king of Assyria is not kind. The king of Assyria is not compassionate. He has no regard for you. And today I'm using the king of Assyria as an example or a pattern or a format, whatever you want to call it, analogy. And I want to use this king of Assyria as your enemy, as Satan himself, as the devil, whatever you call it, have taught yourself to call the devil. And I come to you to remind you that he is still alive. He has not been bound up into the lake of fire. He's still moving. He's still roaming the world, seeking whom he may devour. He's still trying to fight against us. He's still trying to mess with us. He is very much alert and he has designed a plot and a plan to your demise. He wants to destroy your soul. He has only one objective in all that he does. He wants to trick you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to lie to you. He wants to get you off track. He wants to divert you. He wants to fool you and dissolve you. Whatever he can do to make you fail, that's his objective. You see, today you have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he wants you to fail. He wants you to go to hell. He wants you to lose out with God. He is not selective in who he picks on. He's after every one of us. He's not choosing when it comes to whom he destroys. He wants you to be lost whatever the cost. And he will do anything to come against you. And so after that you have done everything good, and after you've done everything right, and after you've done the truth of God, and you have put your mind and your hand to the plow of God and began to work in his field, that's when he shows up. You see, the reason he shows up then is because now you're beginning to be effective. When you weren't doing anything for God, when you weren't thinking about the things for God, when you weren't trying to do that which is good and right and true, he didn't care about you because you were not being effective. But the moment that you do what Hezekiah did and start flipping things in your life and start making things right and good and true in the eyes of God, he can't have that. And so as soon as you begin to make a stand for Christ, He's knocking at your door after these things. You see, you have to understand that after you surrender your will to God, after you've laid yourself on the altar, 
after you've worked yourself to the bone, after you've sacrificed beyond all logic and reason, after you've knocked on 500 doors, taught 100 miles, I don't know what you've done. You, 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 you've talked to every person that you've ever met. When you do all of that, the king of Assyria is going to stand at your door and try to trick you and lie to you. He'll say things like this. Well, that's good for you, but it really doesn't matter. It's just a temporary thing that you've done for God. It's really not going to make a difference in the long run. I'm still going to get you. I'm still going to mess with you. I'm still going to come against you. I'm still going to fight you. He is going to do so because he wants you to be derailed. He wants you to lose out with God. He can lie to you. He'll play games with your mind. I'm not good enough. Sometimes it's like he plays with our minds and he wreaks havoc on our emotions because we don't know where it's really coming from. There have been times in the last couple of weeks I've just been off in la-la land, not understanding why I haven't been able to focus, not understanding why I haven't been able to plan, not understanding why I haven't been able to uh, normally, in, in the concept of this church, I can see this church six months down the road, a year down the road, a couple years down the road. I saw us sitting here when we first were elected as the pastor of this church. That's how God speaks. I'm a visionary aspect of, of this church. That's how God has always worked with me. Now, I never had all the details necessarily, but listen, you can ask any of the members that were a part of this church when we came in 2009. It was only within the first two or three weeks that I started talking expansion. And I started talking new building. You see, I, I saw, and in the last couple of weeks, I'm lucky to get through Sunday and figure out what's happened. Why? Because the adversary has recognized that there is something that has stepped into this church, into this body of believers, into this, this preacher, into this pet. Something is happening in the spirit world that we can't put our hand on, that we can't necessarily identify right now and not yet. But by faith, I see it coming to pass. And listen, when we do everything that is right, when we do everything that is good, when we do everything that is truth in God, then he's going to knock on our door. He's already got it planned out. He'll bring things in front of you to distract you. He'll act out scenarios. How many in the last several months have played the what if game? What if such and so gets elected? What if such and so defunds which department? What if this happens? What are we going to do? Are we going to arm ourselves? What if? What if? What if? What? And he has caused it to become so consuming in our mind and into our spirits that we have been clouded over from the things of God. We have been clouded over from that which is right and good and true because he has allowed it to come against us and we get lost in it. Because he understands he doesn't need to get you to fall flat on your face. He just needs to get you derailed. He just needs to get you distracted. He just needs to let you let your guard down just for a moment. You see, he'll paint pretty pictures. He'll create circumstances. He'll bring individuals into the drama of your life. And make you make a choice. Am I going to get tied up and tangled up with that person? Or am I going to be strong enough to say, I love you, 
but I can't get involved in that. I love you, but I can't spend time with that spirit. I love you, but I can't entertain that mentality. Can I just tell you the junk that's on social media? Don't get tied up in it. Don't start arguing about it. You're not going to win anyhow because anybody that's typing, their minds are not being changed until they find out for themselves and the light bulbs go on. So why get consumed with trying to prove your point and try to fight it? Yeah, do we have to share the things of God? And why do we have to stand up for the things of America? Yes, absolutely. But when we get consumed in it, when it wraps us up and tangles us up, the devil wins because now we're more concerned about what's happening in November than what's happening in our spirit. We get so concerned about what's happening in our country that we forget that we're strangers and foreigners in this country, that we are citizens of another kingdom, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Listen, let thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You have an enemy. He is the king of Assyria, and his goal is to make you lose out with God or not even come to God in the first place. He wants you to turn away from him. He wants you to be a part of the church, but not in the church. I'll say that again. He wants you to be a part of the church, but not in the church, not sold out, not invested, not on fire. He'll keep you close enough to the church. Until you start investing. Until you, until you start doing that which is right and good and true. And then he'll start messing. He's got an ultimate plan. Custom designed for us. He'll get us to worship symbols instead of substance. He'll get us to praise the creature instead of the creator. Well, Pastor, I haven't bowed before. I haven't, have you worried about yourself? If you've worried about yourself, then you're worrying about the creature instead of the creator. Jesus said it this way, take no thought for yourself. Don't get consumed by me. Don't get consumed by what Tim needs or wants. Don't get consumed by what's happening around me. What is going on in him? And let me reflect him in the midst of my situation. Let me be concerned with what thus says the word of the Lord. God, let me be the moon to your sun. Let me reflect, reflect your light. Let people see you in me. See, I'm here to keep the wool from being pulled over your eyes today. God is trying to get somebody's attention because you've been battling this week. You have been fighting this week and you have been questioning, God, I'm praying now more than I've ever prayed. I read the word of God more than I ever read the word of God. I've been in church for several weeks in a row, several months in a row. I have been in Bible studies. I have been at chain breakers. I have been at this. I have done this. I have talked to my family, my friends, my neighbors. For some of you, you're getting baptized. I'm doing that which is right and that which is good and that which is true. Why am I being fought so hard? Why is the king of Assyria knocking on my doorstep? Can I just tell you that there is a God? The Bible says that sticketh closer than a brother. 
There is a God that is walking in the aisles of the sanctuary right now. And he's wanting you to get lost in him. He's wanting to wrap his arms around you and lead you in this path. And fight with you in your battles. After these things. It seems like we could have been satisfied with the accomplishments that Hezekiah was involved in. Even though it wasn't his own doings, it wasn't something that he perpetrated, it wasn't something that he instigated. He was just doing what God asked him to do, it was just life. He did all of those things, and then after all the people began to rejoice and sing and praise the Lord, after it had been done, all the sacrificing, they paid the price, they lived happily ever after. I wish. But it was after the revival, it was after the service where the power and the tremendous anointing of God was there. It was after they shouted and rejoiced in the Lord. It was after the glory of the Lord had fell, fallen so beautifully upon. It was after that great prayer meeting in the privacy of your own home. It was after the conversation that you had about the Bible with your neighbor. It was after those things that the king of Assyria moved in. Why is it that we have Sennacherib's in our lives that come in at that time. And to be honest, it, it sometimes offends my sense of fair play. How can God allow the king of Assyria to assault the lives that have done nothing to deserve it? And I can't always account for the emotions that flow through me when I see bad things happen to good people. But after I analyze it and I settle down and I begin to reason the word of God, I have concluded that the things of this life that come to us are not the results of sin or judgment. It's the results of that which is done right. It's because we are in a battle and a war with the, the enemy of our soul. And it's a fight that's going to go until you take your last, last breath on this earth or you hear the blast of the trumpet from the skies. Sometimes we fall into the trap that the disciples thought in John chapter 9. We won't read that right now, but sometimes go and read John chapter 9. The blind man is laying before them, and the disciples aren't concerned about the blind man or the healing, if you will. They aren't even concerned about the multitudes and what can be done for them. They were overwhelmed by the feeling and the questions of where they could place the blame. Who has sinned this man or his parents? Why do we think that somebody had to sin for the man to be blind? Because it's the innate fairness that we think should be fair. He must have done something to receive the judgment of his blindness. And if it wasn't him, his parents must have been just crooked. And he's paying the price for the sins of his parents. But Jesus said... It's not him nor his parents. He was born blind so that God can be glorified. The question isn't about the man or the parents. The question is, is what was Jesus getting ready to do? You see, we get so caught up in questioning what's going on that we fail to realize what Jesus is actually doing. 
Listen, Jesus is the one that turns blindness to sight. Jesus is the one that turns deaf ears to hearing. Jesus is the one that raises up the lame man to walking. Jesus is the one that can speak to the dead man and call Lazarus from a tomb. Jesus does not worry about what you're dealing with or what you're not dealing with. He's not even worried about the king of Assyria that has come after you. He's getting ready to glorify himself in you. So don't get bogged down by doing that which is right and good and expecting everything to be smooth sailing. Expect the king of Assyria to come in. And when he does, say, Jesus, can you take care of that for me? <laughs> I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's like the Sunday school teacher that asked the, the little kids, what do you do when Jesus tries to, or when you're tempted, when, when Satan comes to tempt you and the little girl, a bunch of different answers, and then the little girl raises her hand, she says, well, here's what I do. I know that Jesus lives in my house, so when the devil rings and knocks on my door, I just ask Jesus to answer after these things. Listen, if you have been doing what God has asked you to do to the best of your ability, do not let the king of Assyria try to tell you that what you're dealing with is because of something you did. Right. I'm fighting against this! I've tried to do everything right. I've been faithful to the things of God. I've been faithful to the tenets of the scripture. I've been faithful to the church. But listen, it's after that that the king of Assyria comes. Jesus is trying to tell somebody today, stop worrying about the blame game. Stop blaming others. Stop blaming yourself. Stop blaming the politicians. Stop blaming the circumstance. And just realize that if it is dark right now, it means that there's going to be a bright light that shines from heaven. His name is Jesus. He's getting ready to break into your life. And when the light that no man can comprehend begins to break into your life, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you had to deal with. It doesn't matter what's fighting against you. It doesn't matter how big and strong the king of Assyria is or how many people that he has with him. It just means that God is getting ready to shake your world and expose you to a glorification process that God's going to receive the glory and when God receives the glory you go down to the annals of eternity as one that allowed the glory of God to be ushered into this world. It's in the worst set of circumstance that God gets the most glory. Trials are not always the results of sin or in the making of a mistake. In fact, can I just tell you, it almost never is. You see, we have replaced the word trial with repercussion. So, so we mess up, we sin, and now we say we're in a trial. No, you're dealing with the repercussions of your sin. A trial, if you will, is something that comes against you on the outside. It doesn't matter whether you're doing it just right or if you're making all kinds of mistakes. A trial is either brought to you on one of two things. 
either on the wings of heaven trying to get your attention or on the wings of the adversary trying to destroy you. In either situation, your trial is not about you. You need to identify the difference between your trial and your circumstances because sometimes you deal with the repercussions of your sin and that's not your trial. You're just paying the price for what your decision was. But when the adversary comes in, he's doing it when you're doing everything right, when you're doing everything good, you'll begin to fight. And so then we sit there and we wonder what's wrong with us. And we hear the clanks and the rattles and the shakes and the automobile of life. And the whole time we're worried and anxious where we, what's going on, God, I can't see up from down, I can't see inside, I, I can't, I can't, it's so dark, I can't see where I'm at, what's going on, God? And the whole time, he's standing by your side and he's saying, stop wringing your hands and understand that there is a king of Assyria that is assaulting you and trying to trip you up and cause you to be lost. Put the blame where it belongs if you have to place blame. Stop blaming yourself. Stop blaming your spouse. Stop blaming your job. Stop blaming others that may or may not be guilty. Stop holding grudges and bitterness in your heart. Stop being all out of sorts here and out of sync there. Lay down your weapons and realize that you only have one true enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and evil in this world. You are, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are powerful in the pulling down of strongholds. You are not battling another human being. You are battling the spirit of the age. You are battling the king of Assyria that has come in because you're doing that which is good and right and true. When you do that, everything starts to come together. It'll cause you to pray more. It'll cause you to intercede more. It'll cause you to read the Bible more. It'll cause you to reach others more. And just as sinning is not always a cause of trouble, I submit to you today that living godly doesn't prevent them. Let me put it into biblical terms. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Just because the blood of Christ is applied to you doesn't relieve you from trials. After these things. I invite you to stand today. I invite you, I invite you to understand. I need somebody to grab a hold of this truth. Grab a hold of this revelation. What you're dealing with isn't because you're not good enough. It's not because you're not doing that which God has asked you to do. It's not because you've messed up, made a mistake, committed sin. You're dealing with it because you're doing that which is right and good and true in God. And the devil doesn't like it. Twenty twenty has been a chaotic year. No doubt about it. And I don't know the outcome of what this country has been dealing with. I don't know where we'll be in, in four, five, six months. 
I don't know exactly what we're going to be looking at or facing, but here's what I know. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Let me just give you a secret as to how to deal with the enemy. When I played hockey all growing up, I, I didn't, I'm not real tall yet, <laughs> but I was real short when I played hockey. I actually didn't grow, start growing until my sophomore, junior year. I was one of the smaller guys on the ice, but that didn't bother me. And uh, I think I've even shared this before, but when you're playing hockey that's not part of like a school or something, it's just the associations, they can move you around if they want to. And, and uh, we had just finished a game or a practice or scrimmage, and the guys above us, I was a peewee, they were bantam, so probably the seventh and eighth graders, and I was in fifth or sixth, and they were short players, and so they asked my line. It was me and Terry Blankhorn and Steve Meisner. I'll never forget this. They were great guys on, on my wings, and I was the center. Would your line play with the big guys? We said, sure. We didn't think anything of it. And so we're thinking, well, we'll, we'll barely see the ice. We'll, we'll barely, you know, we'll get out there for a shift or two, and just in order to give the regulars their breath and, and before they come back on the ice. But we get into the locker room, and the coach gets, gets up, and he, and he looks at the team, he says, I think we're going to start the kids today. And so they put my line out to start, the, and so I walk out, or I skate out to the center ice, getting ready to take the opening face off, and I lift my head and I look, and this kid had to be two feet taller than I am, two feet wider than I am, and I'm thinking, oh sure, thanks a lot. And so the referee drops the puck, and the first thing that kid does is he gave me a cheap shot. He was trying to set the boundaries that we were just the pipsqueak fifth graders uh, skating against the seventh and eighth graders, and he took me with his stick and he knocked me down. Can I just tell you, it was the last time they touched our line the whole night. By the end of that game, that team understood that the Peewees were there to play, that we were going to win the game for our friends, the Bantams. We were going to do everything that we could, and we ended up, our line, two years younger than the other guys, our line ended up scoring like three or four goals, and we ended up winning the game for the older guys. And after the game, you could see the heads were hung by the guys that tried to take cheap shots on the little kids because there was something that was in the three of us. When they began to cheap shot us at the beginning, something rose up in us. I said, you can get away with that one time, but now we're going to take things into our own hand. And we began to dominate even though we were smaller, even though we were probably less talented, but something got us ticked off, and we began to play like we had never played before. And listen to me, my friend. It's the same thing in the spirit world. Stop allowing the cheap shots of the enemy to put you down. Make it stand up. Get up and say, you may have done that one time to me, devil, but you're never doing it again. You're getting ready to be dominated. You're getting ready to be won against. That was the Tim Sanders version of what God, so, or what Hezekiah told the people. He said it this way. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude with him, for there is more with us than with him. 
said, you're not alone in this thing. You're alive. You may think you're all by yourself. You may even be lonely. But my friend, there are people all over this world praying for you, interceding for you. Why do I know that? I know that because the Bible says this. The Holy Ghost makes intercession for those that we don't even know. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Ghost begins to pray on our behalf. So I may not ever mention your name in prayer, but the Holy Ghost sees you. And he begins to pray through before you. You're not alone. You're not alone. And not only that, but if you had the eyes of Elisha's servant that looked on the hills and saw the heavenly host that stood around at that point in time, listen, there's so many more with us than with them. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us, Lord, our God is there to help us and to fight our battles. Can I just tell you that when the king of Assyria messes with you, he can only really mess with you in the flesh. But we're not fleshly individuals anymore. Because the Bible says, he that has been raised in the spirit now walks after the Spirit. We're getting ready to baptize some people. The Bible says when you've been baptized uh, through the waters of baptism, you come out a new creature. You're not going to be the same. And those of us here that have been brought out of the waters of baptism, you're not the same as when you went down. Listen, my friend. Don't get weary when the enemy starts fighting. God, I come to church. I support. I'm invested. Why are you letting this happen to me? It's not fair. Could it be that somewhere in your life you pray one of two prayers that are a powerful prayer? God, give me patience. Before there would be light. 
There would always have to be cloudiness before there was clarity. There would always have to be a fight before there was a revelation. There always had to be a battle before there was a victory. But if you would just not be dismayed and be courageous and recognize who's actually really doing the fighting, on the other side of your battle, you will be like the people of Israel or the people of Judah that listen and the Bible says they comforted themselves. They found comfort in the fact of who God was and who God is and who God will always be. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I know this was for at least one person because you talked to me before church and confirmed the word of the Lord. But I've got to believe that there's going to be many that have been dealing with this concept over the last several months. Listen, you have been fighting. You have been trying to do everything that which is good, that which is right, that which is true. You've tried to do what God's asked you to do. You've tried to live right. You've tried to be upstanding. You've tried to do the things that would be pleasing to God. And it seems like every time you've done it, the enemy is right there to batter the side of your ship. And you have been wondering over the last couple of weeks, what is really going on, God? What am I doing wrong? What am I missing? What am I, why isn't things going better? Can I just tell you, if you're fighting, things are going great. Because God is doing the work. And he's going to fight for that. If that identifies you with your eyes closed, would you just raise your hand in the presence of God? If this message has stepped under the doorstep of your life, would you just acknowledge it by raising your hand in the presence of the Lord? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Victory is on its way. Now, here's what I'm asking everybody to do. Would you just raise your hands in the presence of God and begin to see with your spirit eyes the heavenly host that is camped around about this building right now. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of angels that have gathered around about them that fear him. There is a heavenly host in the spirit world. There is so many more with us than there is with them. I believe right now there's angels on this platform. Right now, I believe there are angels in the seats. I believe that there are angels walking about. Listen, I'm not trying to be kooky or freaky, but the Bible says that there are angels that are sent forth to be ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. You may be feeling the touch of the angels right now as they walk by in the spirit and minister to you, an heir of salvation. They are embracing you. They are letting you know you're not alone, but the entire host of heaven is with you. Put your shoulders back a little bit more. Lift your chin a little bit higher. You are not defeated. You are not a failure. You are not lost. You are not destroyed. You have not been devoured. You have not messed up beyond your forg the forgiveness of God. You have not caused a problem for heaven. 
You have not caused a problem for the church. You have done that which you could, that which you've been trying to do. But the king of Assyria has come against you. It means you're doing something right. last days you can open your eyes give me one more minute and then we're going to worship and pray and then we're going to have a baptism can I just tell you the secret to making it through what we're dealing with in this world is simply this I know this isn't normal. I know this isn't, but we are in a battle. We are in a battle. 